So we are getting into Galatians 1, 18 to 24. I'm staying focused, but please turn to Galatians 1, 11 to 24 to get a bigger view of our passage this morning. Galatians 1, 11 to 24. Again, the title of this message is Staying Focused. Can I have a cricket? You hear the cricket? <laughs> Some of you know what that means. Let's read together. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said... He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and glorified God because of me. So let's now narrow it down to our focus in our passage today, just to the two verses of Galatians, 1, 18 to 23 verses, actually, 18 to 24. Actually, it's six. (laughs) But I want to compare Paul's testimony as an example of our life today and three points to remember this morning for our life uh, as we go throughout the outline. Paul's commitment to grow in his faith alongside his brothers and sisters in Christ, which is one real fruit of true faith. Another real fruit of true faith, the gospel of Christ remained to be Paul's focus. And Paul's faith overflowed to share the gospel. So, now we're starting with just two verses, 18 and 19. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and we also know him as Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So let's just stop here for now. So we know this was a short visit, 15 days. And I'm trying to think of a really good point that Pastor James passed to me as a baton and a relay race. It was a really good point. It was the last point in his application of the out, our outline together that we're to strengthen our resolve to believe the gospel. And I believe that was the setting here of this visit. Um, and scripture to back that up, Paul writes, if you would, turn to Philippians 1, 27 to 30. And here we're going to get a sense in Philippians 1, 27 to 30, a unity of God's will with testimony and fellowship and, of course, prayer. Because Paul does show up to Peter's house here in our passage, and, and possibly with Peter and his wife as well. 
And we know for sure that Peter was, was married from Scripture. But also the Lord's brother, Jane, was there briefly as well. Just picture, if you would, imagine them at the dinner table, possibly taking a breather from all the persecution, intense persecution. All four of them having an intimate time of koinia together. Now, I've been corrected by some of my friendly brothers in the Lord that a lot of people don't know what that is because we have visitors. And so I want to tell you that koinia is a Greek word for Christian fellowship. And that's what we label our groups that come together at various homes at different times of the week a couple times a month. And we have deep Christian fellowship, and we go through the Word. And that's what they were doing, all four of them, at the dinner table. And they knew that they truly were in this together, like we are. Amen? But they were standing firm, side by side, for the faith of the gospel. As we're going to read here in Philippians 1.27, let's read that. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that I might hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, for this is the clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So back to the dinner table. I'm probably making you guys hungry, right? Ready for lunch? <laughs> but they were truly doing life together. A hard life, though. Much harder than our life. Escaping the clutches of persecution and even death. And I at this point, do I wonder, because even though they were in intense persecution, they were no different than us, real people. And I wonder if Peter was able to share some of the highlights of his life with Paul at this visit. I'd like to imagine for a moment if, if Peter would share like one experience that he had with Christ, one highlight that we, are, we probably, most of us are familiar with, when Peter declared that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the, of the living God. But maybe perhaps Peter could have came off a little prideful to Paul and the rest of them. Who knows? Or maybe perhaps Peter, Peter's wife was elbowing him and giving a wink and helped Peter to remind him to tell the, the remainder of the truth, that this truth that Jesus was the Christ did not come intrinsically from him, not from Peter. But we know from Matthew 16, 17, that it did not come from flesh and blood, but it came from the Heavenly Father. Well, now, we're just imagining this morning what could have been said, of course, within the perimeters of what the Bible tells us of the apostles, of their weaknesses, and their strengths. Because, again, they were people just like us, same as us. We need to be real with each other. And I believe they were growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I also like to think of James, the Lord's brother. I like to imagine James. He might have been there as well, um, being asked. Oh, by the way, side note, uh, with Mary, we all know that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Mark 6, 3. That Jesus had brothers and sisters. So I kind of wonder if, uh, well, let's think about this for a second. That 
James was raised by Mary and Joseph and with the perfect brother, Jesus the Christ. And, it's a, and we should know, too, that James did not become a believer until after the resurrection. So imagine, imagine if Paul asked James, like, how was it like to be the brother of the Jesus, the Christ, having the perfect brother? And I can imagine, too, Mary following up on James as a young man in his home. Why can't you be like your brother? <laughs> imagine Jesus serving James, doing all the chores. And if we have any youth here, I'm sure the youth... Love that, right, Judah, Tristan, and Quentin sitting in the back? Jesus doing all your chores for you? But that probably bothered James all the more because I'm sure that James, deep in his heart, knew that Jesus truly was the Christ. But being his brother, he probably was blinded by his sin, the sin of pride or stubbornness, not wanting to give in to his son. His mind was blinded until after the resurrection. But James did have Jesus as the perfect servant, even as a a little boy. And so James learned from the best, right? And James became a good servant. And it's no wonder why James wrote this in James 1.1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to our point of our time and fellowship together in koinonia groups. It needs to be transparent. We need to be vulnerable and real with each other, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, we have learned in the past few weeks uh, from the Holy Word through Paul, the previous weeks and how the Judaizers was saying there was another gospel. Galatians 1.8. And then Paul says, let them be accursed, because there is no other gospel. So we are to contend for the faith. We are to contend for the gospel, right? Jude 1.3. Although as we do proclaim the gospel and as we contend for the faith, we're also to abide in the love of Christ and in the affection and fellowship for each other. John 15. We don't want to be so lopsided and being so right in continuing for the faith, especially with each other. Because then, if we're just contending and always being doctrinally correct with each other and being lopsided and always having to be right at every point, it gets very irritating and unloving. It's like, have you heard it said, don't be like a porcupine having many points but untouchable. And that's how we become. So striving side by side, like porcupines, would become very irritating. Now, because we have plenty of things to deal with, right? Plenty of things besides fighting with each other. Plenty and good things. And good things that are very hard, by the way. And thank the Lord, those hard things are even good. Good things in God's sovereignty. Plenty and good and I was thinking about plenty and good. And then I got distracted when I was doing my message. And I was thinking of good and plenty. You know, <laughs> the candy, you know, the grossest candy ever, unless you like licorice. It's so easy to get distracted off from the faith of the gospel. So we need to be gracious and loving with each other. 
and keep our focus on the faith of the gospel, which is our first point in our outline. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel is God-glorifying. Is God-glorifying. Let's go to verse 19 in our passage, which says, I saw none of the other apostles. Verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles except Peter and James and the Lord's brother. And when I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Isn't that interesting how Paul here is appealing with a strong assertion? I do not lie. It seems that it's very extremely important on who, where, and when he was with. And very, for very good reason. Because Jesus Christ actually appeared to Paul. And he's making it super clear about this. I am not lying. Let's recall the verses previous to this passage in 11 and 13. Give us a better insight what Paul is referring to as well. 11 to 13, it says, The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. So Paul remembers freshly in his mind how he would have perceived this as a Pharisee. Now, Pastor James mentioned last week, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, this would have been an outrageous claim in the mind of a Pharisee. And even to us today, right? That Jesus Christ, seeing Jesus Christ himself in a, in, and being radically transformed as a believer, and on top of that, claiming that he was saved by grace alone through faith. Because we know about Judaism. Judaism is all about rigorous discipline and living under the law, especially during the first century. We know that at that time, it wasn't just about God's law, but it was man's law added on top of God's law. And then on top of that, man's tradition on top of man's law. So Judaism, in a sense, became very man-centered, and especially because of the fact that they were rejecting Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill the law. And so it's no reason why they would think, the Jews that were unsaved or any Pharisee would say, no, no, Paul, it's not that easy. You cannot say that you are transformed by grace alone through faith. So, Paul truly had a true Damascus Road experience. You know, it's, it's interesting that even the world, the world will use this statement, uh, a Damascus Road experience, metaphorically referring to a person who had um, a radically changed heart or mind, but it's not necessarily related uh, to anything religious. But please turn to 2 Corinthians 12.1. And while you're turning in, I like to just... Paul knew that that kind of statement of Christ appearing to him should not be taken lightly. Now, does the Lord appear today in visions, special messages? You know, I strongly doubt it, at least here in America... And, but it's not because the Lord can't. Um, but personally, I just can't see it here in America as I filter it through the, the Bible that it's real and authentic. Um, because what I see here in America 
is an American, in the American culture and churches, so prevalent in the churches, by the way, that they're being led by experience. In fact, there's a movie called The American Gospel, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a documentary based on American churches and movements pursuing feel-good Christianity and led by experience. And it's also having a, the lie, and they promote this lie in churches of they're entitled to prosperity as well. In fact, many of these experiences, are, by the way, are called a Damascus Road experience. And unfortunately, because of this, this culture in many churches today, the, the Word of God is put on the back seat. And we know what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it doesn't take a backseat to visions. In fact, it's exalted above all things. Psalms 138.2, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And let's, let's take note, too. We have the full canon of Scripture Today, so again, 2 Timothy 3.16, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And does God give us new revelation? No. Jude 3, the faith once and for all given to the saints. So many might attempt to authenticate their vision or their special message from God by quoting Joel 2.28. You don't need to turn there, but you might be familiar with this message. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, that's a sobering message, isn't it? And it's true. It's sobering, so sobering you think this passage would lead men to repentance. Well, it did. And it still does. But you notice where it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh. Now, has that happened yet? Also, I'll, I'll show, my, show wonders in the heavens, on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. How about that? Has that happened yet? So you notice prophecy, this prophecy in particular, is not pegged to just one segment of time. So our friends, and I, and I do mean friends, who are more persuaded that this type of experience in churches today, um, they say, you can't put God in a box. But they're the ones that are actually compartmentalizing, pegging these experiences, for example, to a certain miracle service location on a particular scheduled revival meeting. So that's actually putting God in a box. Or more accurately, it's putting experience in a box. Now, don't get me wrong. Joel 2 truly was partially fulfilled. 
during Peter's time in Acts 2.32. The Holy Spirit truly did come upon many, and many were speaking in tongues. Although Peter preached a message of conviction with the gospel of repentance. And after the sign of the Holy Spirit of many believers speaking in tongues. And, and by the way, with the clear inter- interpretation of tongues in known languages. But here's an excerpt from Peter's message in Acts 2, 36 and 37. This Jesus God, God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that this yourselves are seen, and let all the house of Israel therefore know and for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. So, was the purpose of the sign with tongues by the Holy Spirit, what was that purpose? Well, it's like Peter said in Acts 2.36. No, therefore no for certain. No for certain with repentance that God has made him Lord and Christ, this Christ whom you crucified. So that was the purpose. So also in a minute, we're going to read a detailed account, a bigger account of Paul's testimony in Acts. But more specifically, let me read to you Acts 9.17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's another manifestation of the Holy Spirit at a different place in time. Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this time, it wasn't tongues. They were speaking the word of God with boldness. So that's, you see how people or churches can put God in a box in the way they do service. It's not always tongues, it's preaching the word. But also notice this, where they gathered and where they were praying, the place was shaken. Now, does the Lord do that today? What if I told you on our Thursday night prayer night, when we prayed that this building shakes? Should we pray that it shakes? It's interesting how we, how we want to pick and choose divine experiences that are described in the Bible that we desire, right? Anyway, thank you, Lord, uh, for Pastor Kyle's praise report of the Back Fellowship Hall being packed last Thursday night prayer night. Now we're moving it here to this the sanctuary room. So I do want to cur- encourage you to come once a month. It's, it's every Thursday or fourth, 6.30. And it's like Jesus said in Matthew 21.13. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer. And for various good reasons, you know, we can't make every single meeting. We don't, we're not legalistic, but we, we don't want to make a habit. So this is an encouragement of not making a habit of it. Just like it says in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the more you see the day drawing near. What day? 
Well, the day we just read in Joel chapter 2. And that day is drawing near, isn't it? So, anyway, you can see the setting here in Acts chapter 2 and 4 that it's not about pursuing a Damascus Road experience. It's about the furtherance of the gospel. And so we're to be encouraged to stay focused on the faith of the gospel. And yes, praise the Lord from the prophet Joel. Joel is clear. There will be an increasing demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in the last days, especially in the faithful disciples of Christ. But again, it's not pegged to just one single season during the church age, but it's also near the end of the age in Joel chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit will increasingly culminate, and we should gladly look forward to that even today. And being extremely bold for the faith of the gospel. Because this is already happening with our brothers and sisters in harder parts of the world. Amen? They truly are being persecuted. Last night we went to go see the movie, uh, The Hiding Place. And some of our brothers and sisters here this morning about um, Corey Timboon. Her, her and her family, Christians, were helping Jews hide from the Nazis under the rule of Hitler and hide it. She hid and saved about 800 Christian, I mean Jews in her home. They truly had a hard life, didn't they? And we have no idea. I mean, speaking about putting God in a box, I, I honestly feel we live in a bubble. And we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters and also praying the Lord would just continue to help us be bold and strong any persecution that might be coming our way in these last days. Listen how Paul wrote about another one of his experiences in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10, if you're there. And note how he treads upon this very carefully. I don't know if I told you the 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10, but apologize if I didn't. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. I must go boast on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man. Now you notice his talk here, by the way, is in third person because he doesn't want to bring attention to himself because he's humble. He's not going off wanting to write a best-selling book about his experience, okay? Sorry, I digress, but let me continue. Paul continues. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know a man who was caught up. He says it again. It's interesting. Caught up in paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Why does he say it twice? Because he's not arrogant. He's not confident in himself. He continues, and he heard things that cannot be told. He heard things that cannot be told. So he didn't go on a religious channel telling a fanciful story about this revelation. <laughs> but he continues, It cannot be told which man may utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. 
Though if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. Good point, Paul. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. So it does seem to be, it seems to be a price to be paid, right? To have a surpassing greatness of revelation. And that price is to keep Paul from being conceited, a thorn in his flesh. Although, again, as in other countries that we talked about, where our brothers and sisters are severely being persecuted as the day, days of Paul, I would be more inclined to believe that they see a vision of Christ. I would be inclined to believe that. Mainly because it does fit biblically in how they truly are paying a price and suffering for the faith of the gospel. They're not grandstanding these experiences in churches or on YouTube like they are here in America. Which brings up our second point in our, uh, our outline. Paul stays focused on the gospel. Number two, Paul knew everything that was happening in his life. It wasn't about him. It was for the sake of the gospel. So just as in the days of Paul, which we're reading here, let's go ahead and read also Galatians 1, 21 to 24 in our passage. Galatians 1, 21 to 24. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Please turn to Acts chapter 9. Because they all knew, by the way, in this passage, they all knew that Paul, as Saul, that he was a murderer of Christians. And there was no internet in that day, young people. Uh, they all didn't know Saul. It became Paul, a, a Christian, right away. And we'll read about Ananias soon. And Ananias, the only reason why he knew is because Jesus Christ appeared to him personally and told him that Paul is now a Christian. So think about Hitler. We just talked about Hitler, Hitler becoming a Christian. And so like Paul said in Galatians 1.24, they were all hearing it said, he used to persecute us as now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So Paul's reputation was still out there like Hitler. Let's read Acts 9.1-22. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So then now that he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. 
And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen servant of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer in the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And, And then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with his disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now moving on to verse 29 real quick in your Bible where it says, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist. So, what do we come for that? By the way, being gentle does not mean that we're to refrain from being firm and bold. Because we're talking about salvation, salvation from hell. Amen? And it's true. We can't argue people into heaven. Just like it's true that we can't dispute people out of hell. But that doesn't mean we're not to be obedient as Paul Paul's example, as he disputed against the Hellenist. Our main purpose is to glorify God, not always expecting results. Results, And as Pastor James preached recently, that we're not to give in to fear of man. Now, that doesn't mean we're to scream in anger. Again, we speak boldly with gentleness. And, and even if the person is super angry, We remain bold and we remain gentle because that gives glory to God. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile, revile your good behavior in Christ 
may be put to shame. So here in Acts 9, we see a larger account of Paul's testimony, and we see that Jews were remaining in unbelief, still finding out about Paul and his conversion. His reputation hasn't caught up to everybody. But then you still have the Judaizers, still stubborn and stuck in their sin, who wanted a different gospel. They remained under the law, not seeing Jesus who truly fulfilled the law to save people from their sins. But let's recall the last verse in 22 in our passage. But Saul, in Acts 9.22, excuse me, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So has the Lord called us this morning to increase in strength, proving that Jesus is the Christ whenever the Lord puts anyone in our path? Are we having discernment? And of course, filled with the Holy Spirit. I do believe that, at, that Paul in Acts chapter 9, uh, that he actually saw the example of Stephen. When Stephen preached his message in Acts chapter 7, read that when you can, that Stephen, uh, when he was stoned to death, and Saul at the time, before he was named Paul, was holding the coats who stoned Stephen. And Stephen was drawing some prophecy from the Old Testament, a beautiful message. I believe Paul drew from that, possibly, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the prophecies of Jesus the Christ. Third point in our outline, Paul's faith overflowed to share the gospel. Overflowed to share the gospel. You know, there's over 300 prophecies of, that were literally fulfilled. That's a conservative number of literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. And as Pastor James mentioned last week, they're, not, they're unlike vague prophecies that you might hear from the Koran or other books or other so-called Word of God, like the Mormon's book. They're, va- they're very vague, but not like the Bible. The Bible is very articulate and detailed in nature. You know, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And half of those prophecies have been fulfilled with 100% accuracy. And it's just amazing how, just how many prophecies the Bible has that are very articulate and full of details. Many unbelievers have come to faith Peter Stoner is a, a major skeptic who came to faith, and he wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? So that's a tool the Lord can give us to proving that Jesus is the Christ. And there's many prophecies that we know we're aware of, like such as Jesus was born to be, to be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, that he would be born through the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, that he would have a miraculous ministry. Isaiah 35.5, Jesus would be crucified. Psalms 22.16. And there's so much history, too, that, backs, that also backs up the life of Jesus. And we're talking about historians that were not Christians, like Josephus or Tacitus. It's amazing that the Lord has the tools that he has given us today proving that Jesus is the Christ. You know, I... I found this track in my home. He actually slipped it. He made the effort to put it under my door. It's a track from the Jehovah Witness. And uh, I really do believe that we are equipped 
we're equipped to at least attempt to talk to this poor soul who's trapped in legalism. Just like Judaism, Mormonism, Islam, it's all about what they do to earn God's favor. You know, it's interesting. That's the common denominator of all religions. It's earning God's favor. That's the common denominator. And it all has to do with their understanding of Christ. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons, Islam, they believe that Jesus was created. He's not God the Son. And that's why they don't see the true fulfillment of God becoming man, dying on the cross for our sins, that that alone is sufficient. That's why Jesus says, it is finished. Now, it's not about bashing people. These, these people that are, these poor people, poor souls who are created in God's image, precious people, we're not bashing them, but we're just saying it's a different gospel. And we need to have true compassion so they could be free from their legalism and, and know what true redemption is. And just like Paul said in our passage this morning, Galatians 1.23, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what does the Bible tell us, by the way, that the gates of hell, hell wants to, wants to destroy the true faith, the gospel. And what did Peter possibly, possibly bring up at the table with Paul and the rest of them? In Matthew 16, 18, in his testimony of being with Christ, blessed are you, Simon Berjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Paul ended our passage this morning in Galatians 1.24, where he said, and they glorified God because of me. Here's a, a glorious quote from some person who's dead, and I don't know his name, but that doesn't matter. I just love the quote. Oh, how vain and unworthy it is to live for any lower end and not the glory of God. You know, it's really sad. I was just talking to a brother, our brother this morning, Charles. Um, uh, he just got injured. He's a nurse over here, and uh, he's just getting ready for retirement like me and many of us. And, and Charles injured his shoulder. Be praying for Ch Charles. He's going to have surgery on his shoulder soon. But he, he plays basketball with his fellow surgeon. And uh, he injured his soldier. But anyway, he, we're talking about retirement and how people have no true purpose. And, and, the, and his friend doesn't know the Lord. And he's just going to work until he dies. And that's, that's, I guess that's the, that's the full purpose of man without the Lord, right? And there, it's more than that. And the Lord just led me to this verse this morning. Revelations 4.11, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you had created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We exist for the Lord because he is worthy. That's our purpose. And so it's my prayer, and I know you agree with me, that we all increase, increase in strength and, and fill with the Holy Spirit as the Lord would lead us in our lives. Whether we're playing, even if we're playing basketball, whatever we do, 
do it all to the glory of God and be ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within us. And it's my prayer that we get, we get that twinkle in our eye again with the, full of the gospel, to share the gospel. To first, though, truly realize that we have a gift that we have not earned. And that should get us excited enough with passion to say, I need to say something, Lord willing, if, if it's your will, open the door. I'd like to read to you verse uh, Psalms 13, and then we'll pray and close. How long, O Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. Praise the Lord. So as the worship team moves their way forward for one more song, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you, Lord God, for your holy word. Oh God, we can get stuck so, in so many ways in the rut of our own despair. We can fall asleep, Lord, depending on our own flesh. Father God, your Holy Spirit is revealing to us, Lord God, that maybe we're in sin. But Lord God, your, your mercies are new every morning. Lord God, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord God, cleanse us. Lord God, thank you that we are forgiven only because we are justified by your grace through faith alone. Continue, Lord God, to fill us by your Holy Spirit that we can grow, continue to be transformed, Lord God, to be more like you, sharing the gospel, Lord God. And I do pray for those who do not know you, Lord God, that they would come to faith knowing, Lord God, that it truly is only by grace that we're saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Oh God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Thank you for that gift this morning, God. And we praise your name. We give you glory. Amen.